Well, hello. I am glad you're here tonight. Howdy. Go ahead and be seated. Praise the name of the Lord Jesus. It's great to be back. And when I do think about what uh, Pastor Jonathan mentioned, that I've been coming here nearly 40 years, uh, that's a long time. But I'm glad I'm coming back. Glory to God. And that I keep being invited back. That's also, there's a positive spin on that, I'm sure. Praise God. Feels good. But I'm also excited about the days that we're in, and I believe this. I believe that God has something to do uh, in your life, in my life, in these days, that's making a difference. We are designed by God to make a difference. God's created us, and we're going to look at a variety of things tonight that I think is going to help feed it. But we're in amazing days. Now, the Bible's clear about this. This is the day the Lord has made. And he says this, he said, I will rejoice and be glad in it. That's what the psalmist said. This is that day. He wasn't talking about day of the week, even though that works just fine. Come right through. It's the only way to get there. (laughs) He's really not talking about a day of the week. He's talking about the day of the Lord's deliverance. The day of what we now know is the day of salvation, the day of of redemption, the day when things changed and when we entered into a place in God that God had always wanted his people in. This is that day, the day of the Lord. Praise God. So that's every day. It's not just a day. It's every single time we choose. It's the day and the era and the time frame that we're living in. Praise God. And I want to jump right into some things. You know, as I've traveled throughout uh, these years in a lot of different places, I've come to find out what really makes a difference is just the Word. That's it, man. It's It's just that we have the presence of God in our life and we have insight into the way God has designed things to happen. The way he's designed us to live, the way he's designed his kingdom to function, and the quicker we can get over into some aspects of that and get some light and insight on it, the better things are. So in the next few minutes, that's what I'm expecting to have happen. So here's the thing. God's word and these times in the word are not just about inspiration. It's not just about information. It's about an impartation of the Spirit of God and what God's Word has to give us. How many of you think God imparting something to you would be good at this stage? You know, I mean, that's, that's just an opportunity for 100% participation is what that is. Man, we're all there, particularly you Friday night type Christians. Man, I like you guys. Been just like you since I got saved. Vicki and I got saved in 1971. We've told our, I've told this story here a lot of times, I know. But it's my story, so I get to tell it again if I want to. (laughs) People can argue argue your doctrine, but they can't argue your life, man. This is the way it goes. But um, 
We've been just like you, Vicki and I both, from the point when we first got saved in 1971. If something was happening, we wanted in on the action. Mm -hmm. I didn't want somebody else telling us about it. I didn't want somebody trying to filter it uh, through them so I could get it. I wanted to be in on the action. And if that meant showing up on Friday night or Tuesday night or Monday morning or whatever the time frame was, man, I wanted in. And uh, I believe that's uh, the kind of thing that brought you out here tonight. Glory to God. So I'm glad you're here. You brought your Bible, I'm sure. This is the Word Church, so <laughs> how many of you brought the Word? You got the Word? <laughs> I, I go to churches, uh, you know, there's not a lot of Bibles in the house. But uh, I bring mine, which is good for the minister to bring this Bible, I think. I think that's a, that's a concept we've got to keep. But I want to jump into some things. Of course, I'm going to use my electronic Bible tonight. Is that all right? Yes. Which has many Bibles in it. I want you to open your Bible to the Gospel of John. Glory to God, man. I've got so many things going on inside me, and I'm thrilled about all of them. <laughs> Praise the Lord. The Gospel of John, chapter 14. I want us to look into the final teaching, really, that Jesus was giving his disciples. Just a few passages from this teaching. Just get the setting, though, as he starts what we're going to read. They've just come out of what we term the Last Supper. They just had that great covenant meal together. But during that, you know that Judas went out to do his dirty deed. And he was on his way at the point in time that Jesus is uttering the words we're going to be looking at. He was on his way to betray Jesus. And uh, the mob was gathering in order to ultimately arrest Jesus. We know, you know what, what that's all about. Of course, we're headed into the resurrection week celebration, but we don't wait for a particular Sunday to celebrate resurrection. Are you kidding me, man? It's all the time. But so right at the end, uh, when, when this is going to be sort of the last thing you get to you get to clarify to people that are important to you. Uh, you give them the, the unadulterated, clear, most important highlights of what you want them to remember most of everything you've given them. That's how I look at it. Everything Jesus said is important. If it's in red letters, it's important. But here we're right at this final teaching, and there's so many things over these... Uh, final chapters in John 14, 15, 16, and his high priestly prayer in chapter 17. It's amazing. And we could just be weeks of going through all of this and really should. But since I'm just here a couple of days, we're just going to do it in, in just a few pieces. But Jesus begins this by saying some things in chapter 14, verse 1, where he said, Let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God. How many of you believe in God? Another chance for 100% participation. It's good. We're all in agreement here. We believe. Say it out loud. I believe. I believe. He said, you believe in God. Believe in me also. Verse 2. In my Father's house are many mansions or dwelling places. If it were not so, I would have told you. Now watch this. He said, I go. To prepare. Say prepare. prepare. We're going to talk about what he prepared. I go to prepare a place for you. I go 
and I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and I will receive you to myself. That where I am, there you may be also. And where I go, you know, and the way you know. That's amazing. Now, of course, the disciples, they, these are wonderful, powerful men. There's just 11 of them listening to this, apparently. But they didn't quite get it. So one of them said in the very next verse, said, well, but we don't really, we don't know where you're going. And we don't know the way to get there. <laughs> you ever feel like that? God saying something to you or somebody else is explaining. I don't know about how it goes here, but when people give directions in Texas, I moved to Texas a long time ago. I grew up in California, but man, moving to Texas, when they give you directions, see, you, you just go down, you know, a little ways down here and there's a mailbox on the left and <laughs> you pass that mailbox and if you get to the second mailbox, you've gone too far. And uh, then you turn where the, there, there'll be a cow out there and you take a turn there and you go down and then you you can't miss it. You can't miss it. Yeah, man, I don't have a clue where I'm going right now. What are you talking about? Anyway, uh, they said, uh, Jesus said, you know where, you know the way, you know where I'm going. And then they said, but we don't know. So Jesus finally clarified it. He just said, I am the way. I am the truth. I am the life. And nobody comes to the Father but by me. Glory to God. Let me read this passage to you. Well, let me work on the word prepare for just a moment. Just to, uh, just to remind you, this is obvious stuff in a lot of ways. You get it. But it's to make something ready. It's to, it's to get it in a place where things are the way they need to be or the way we've always wanted them to be or the way we want to present something. When you prepare, when dinner's ready, it's ready. It's not ready in a while. It's ready now and you need to show up. He said it's to make, or uh, Thayer's Dictionary says it's to make necessary preparations to get everything ready. It's actually drawn from an oriental custom of sending on before the king people that, uh, to send before the king on their journey people that would level the road, people that would prepare the way, people that would make things even enough so that when the king passed, everything was smooth and the way it needed to be. You want to keep the king happy. Right. Let me read this to you, though, from a translation I've started using a lot. I like it. The Passion Translation. Some of you are familiar with it, probably. Mm -hmm. The Passion Translation. Sometimes these translations, you know how it is, these different translations... They just say things in, in cool ways, things that just kind of make it pop a little bit. Real smart people do all this. And then when you read after real smart people, then you sound real smart, which is one of my <laughs> primary goals here tonight. <laughs> Let me read it, though, from the Passion Translation. He said, don't be worried or don't worry or surrender to your fear. For you've believed in God, now trust and believe in me also. My father's house has many dwelling places. Let me remind you of something that's obvious, of course. 
He really always refers to God as his father. Always. Throughout all of eternity, that's exactly how we're going to refer to him. He's not our God. He is our, he's our father. He is God. We understand that. But that's not, the, that's not the concept that God was looking for. He wasn't looking for subjects. He was looking for family. He wasn't looking for servers. He was looking for sons and daughters, men and women, people that, that he would be able to enjoy and them enjoy him. You realize that there's times in our life we feel the presence of God. You felt the presence of God. Is that true? You're a Friday night crowd. How many of you felt the presence of God? I know. We'd... Another option, opportunity for 100% participation. We want you participating here tonight. But you know, he feels your presence also. He feels your distance. He feels your closeness. He feels you being drawn to him. He feels you pushing away. You can feel that with people so many times. You know by various things how, it go, how it's going. They send their signals. Well, oftentimes we've sent signals right to God. Uh, he's secure. He's not insecure about how it's going. But uh, uh, as much as we feel his presence, he actually feels ours. Verse 2 again, he says, My father's house has many dwelling places. If it were otherwise, I would tell you plainly, because I go to prepare a place for you to rest. And when everything is ready, I will come back and I will take you to myself so that you will be where I am. And you already know the way and the place to where I'm going. Now here's what we know, and we know through study of various other scriptures, and I'm not going to take you through all this, I just want to make this clear to you. We all know that the Bible is clear that Jesus is coming back. Amen. Glory to God. And as far as I'm concerned, the sooner the better. Yeah. Now I realize for a lot of people that don't know Jesus, that's not a good idea for them. But for us, man, it's great. The sooner, the better. So I'm not sure we can lobby him for that exactly. I think he's got a plan, and there's other people that got to be involved. But as far as I'm concerned, what I've got on the inside of me right now is fine. But when Jesus is talking to his disciples, and you read through all of these chapters, you realize that what he's talking about is not as far in the future as we've sometimes thought it was. What he's talking about is a much more current and short-term situation that's about to happen. I am going to prepare a place for you. How long was it going to take him to prepare this place? And what is the place? If the disciples already know it, surely we already know it. What is the place that he is preparing that he's talking about here? And what will prepare that place? That's what we're going to talk about and answer here momentarily. He said, I go to prepare a place. He had already
already been describing to his disciples what he was about to head into. You remember when Peter had that revelation that Jesus was the Christ, the Son of the living God. It was just a short time before these, these events that we're reading here. Peter finally got that revelation, man. He was the first one to ever say it. You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. And from that point forward, Jesus began to tell them in very clear detail what was going to happen. That he was going to be arrested. That he was going to be crucified and murdered. And that he would be raised from the dead. They didn't get it. They didn't really understand what that meant, but surely it was really cool. They didn't know what he was talking about. That has been an encouraging thought to me as a minister of the gospel. Because how many times have I taught and ministered things and then on the way out somebody quotes something I said that I am absolutely positive I did not say. <laughs> Or they got something out of what I said that I didn't say, but I sure wished I had. <laughs> that was good. I'm going to say that next time. I don't tell them that. Oh, yeah, 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 I've known that a long time. <laughs> but the disciples didn't always get what was going on, but they wanted to. So they were in, but they didn't always get it. Jesus had described what was going to happen, and it had, it had already started now as he's talking about these things. So now he's telling them, I am going to prepare a place. He had described to them what it was going to take. They didn't realize how to connect the dots, but he had already described to them what it was going to take and where he was going to go. What was it going to take for Jesus to prepare a place? And what is that place that he was going to prepare? It was access into the presence of the Heavenly Father. That was exactly the same access to the same Heavenly Father that he had been showing them all through his ministry. He even told them in some of this exchange, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. And then, of course, one of the disciples said, show us the Father. <laughs> they still didn't quite get it. But he told them anyway. He was going to prepare a place. And what was the place? It was a place in the presence of the Father. That where he is, you may be also. How quickly was this going to happen? He told them exactly how quickly it was going to happen. He said, I'm going to go, and then I'm coming back. And when I come back, the place will be prepared. And what happened? He went, and he came back. The place was prepared. You remember in John chapter 20, there's an interesting exchange that happens between Jesus the resurrected Jesus and Mary Magdalene. She's out at the, at the tomb. And she is grieving because nobody expected, none of the people close to Jesus expected any of this to actually happen. 
They had been taught all of their life that when the Messiah comes, Messiah will come and he will straighten everything out. He will bring Israel back to its former glory. He'll drive out the Roman occupation. He's going to reestablish the greatness of this nation. And they were expecting him to set up his rule and his reign right then. So this idea of him being arrested and then what? Then killed and what? Now buried? That just destroyed everything that we've ever been taught our entire life. Mary Magdalene had gone out there to grieve. And she heard some rustling around and thought it was the gardener attending to this area, just somebody working, until she heard the voice, Mary. Ooh, the sound of that voice is unmistakable. She whirled around knowing that this was the master. And she said, Rabboni, which was to say, teacher. She knew it was Jesus. And then Jesus said something that was a little startling almost at, at first glance. He said, don't cling to me. Or basically, don't touch me. No hugs and kisses right now. Why did, why did he say that? I mean, this is really, this is interesting. What was it that Jesus had going right then that required this, don't touch me, don't cling to me? Mary had caught him having just picked up his body, but having yet to ascend into the presence of the Father to prepare. He had yet to take his sacrifice, the sacrifice of his own blood and his own life, and present it in the heavenly holy of holies. Do you know what I'm talking about when I refer to that? Yeah, yeah this is the holy of holies, not the one that was in the tabernacle or in the temple. That was, that was a shadow or a, a copy of what was in heaven. Now, the one on earth, you know what, what happened there. I mean, this was where they went to worship. started in the tabernacle that God told Moses to create, but it eventually began to take place always in the temple, and the temple had its various, various rooms or various dimensions that people would enter into, but the holiest of holies, nobody went in except the high priest. And he only went in once a year. And in there were all the holiest utensils for worship, the mercy seat and a variety of other things. And the, I won't go into all the detail. It's not what I want to get into right now. But man, the mercy seat was there. And it was once a year that this high priest would enter into either that tabernacle or later the temple. And he would offer a sacrifice for the sins of the nation for that year. And he went in every year. It was 
the most important thing he would do in the year. There would have been other things, but he was going in to bring a sacrifice. And this was the system that God really had designed, and there was reasons for it. Now, being the high priest, I think, would have been sort of a, a love-hate sort of thing. <laughs> this, is, this is great. I get to enter into the presence of God. This is terrifying because they've wrapped a rope around my leg. It was very spiritual and it was very terrifying all at the same time. And why was a rope, and I'm sure it was a very nice rope actually, it was probably had little gold strands in it, I mean they were pretty big on that. So I'm sure it was a very cool rope, but you can't make a rope cool enough for me to feel good about them wrapping it around my leg. And why? It's because if he was behind that curtain in the holiest of holies where nobody goes because of the presence of God that was in that place and something goes wrong in there, nobody's going in after him. That's right. <laughs> I, mean, it's, I mean, it sounds so funny now, I mean, when we think about it, but gosh, this had to be crazy and terrifying for this guy to go in. Have, have I cleaned up right? Have I washed right? I mean, there were rules. There were ways you had to go at it. It was, still, it was still law, man. It was still legalism. It was still not a lot of relationship here. And, and frankly, knowing the high priest that we're talking about in the days of Jesus, he doesn't recognize the word of God in the flesh when the word of God is standing before him. So this guy does not have all the spiritual sense that you would want a high priest to have. Just an observation, but... They tie a rope around his legs so that if he dies inside that spot, they can drag his dead body out. I mean, maybe he just had a seizure. Maybe he had a heart attack. Maybe it wasn't all, you know, it wasn't just whatever it is, we're dragging him out. If he didn't keep clanging around in there and there was a bell on the bottom of his robe, you know the story, and, uh, so that he'd clang around and they could hear him in there and if it stopped clanging for too long, they start tugging. <laughs> So that's just crazy. <laughs> but all of that was merely a, a copy of what was really in heaven. Mm -hmm. And Jesus was on his way when Mary saw him that day. He was on his way to take his own offering, his own sacrifice, and this is what we know. This wasn't going to be the blood of an animal and it wasn't going to be a sacrifice that was prescribed in the law. This was the sacrifice that he had just made of his own life blood. And he was, he was to present that to the Father and lay this on the mercy seat in the heavenly holy of holies. In Hebrews chapter 9, verse 23 indicates that this action cleansed The articles of worship in heaven. Whoa. Now we could take a long side journey on that. What is it that caused even the holiest place in the universe to need cleansing? Well, the only thing that would corrupt God's plans and God's design was sin. Mm -hmm. 
And the corruption of sin had reached all the way into the holiest place. And here's why. Because that was the place that God had designed for mankind to function in their authority. When man fell and the authority and initial original design for man shifted into that dark place, it shifted everything. That's amazing that heaven's holiest place needed the cleansing of this blood sacrifice. But now that it was there and now that it was cleansed, and that sacrifice was on that mercy seat and it would remain there for the rest of eternity. And this blood, this is what's different about this sacrifice. It doesn't have to be made every year. It doesn't wear out. It's forever. It's always alive. Never dies. For the rest of eternity, that sacrifice guarantees us access to what Jesus prepared. Glory to God, man. This would be good on Easter Sunday morning. So this is a prelude. You got to come back on resurrection morning. Come on, you got to be here. But that's what took place. Jesus would prepare the place for every person to enter into the presence of God through that sacrifice. And once he had given his sacrifice and laid that on the heavenly mercy seat once and for all, for all of eternity, the place was ready. The presence of the Father was open now. It was like that tabernacle of David you read about where there wasn't all the various rooms. There was just one place. It was an open tent. Anybody could come in which was a depiction of what would come when the place was prepared. When what Jesus now was accomplishing was being seen as a metaphor, in a sense, out there in David's day. Are you with me? Is this, you see, for guys like me, this, this flips my switch, man. I could just stay here all night long. All night long. All night long. Little flashback. <laughs> Jesus said, I go to prepare a place so that where I am, you can be. And once I've done that, I'm coming back. And what did he do next? He came back. <laughs> it was just a few days, and he came back. The disciples were all huddled in a, in a room in fear, 11 of them. They were all huddled, afraid of what was going on, having no idea what had just happened really even yet. And Jesus walks through the wall. <laughs> it shows up. It's like, freak me out. How did you do? They didn't ask. But he shows up and he comes in the room. And he reveals himself to his disciples. And he talks to them. And suddenly they start to have the pieces fit together 
of what Jesus has been talking about. Suddenly the revelation knowledge started to strike them that what Jesus had done and what he talked about, the place he was going, the preparation he was making, that he would come back and here he is. This is just what he described. So that where he is, we can be also. And where is he? He's not just in the room. He's also in the presence of his Father simultaneously. And suddenly anybody in the room could be in exactly the same situation where they are not only in the room here, but they are in the presence of the Father as well. Suddenly the presence of the Father is not shut up in that heavenly room. The presence of the Father is not distant from mankind anymore. It's that open tent like the days of David and now anybody can enter in to the presence of the Father. This is what God had on his mind from the start. He never wanted people at a distance. He always wanted them close. Glory to God. Are you with me in this? So he said, I go to prepare a place for you that where I am, and where is he? He's in the presence of the Father. That where I am, you may be also. And when I go, then I will return and come back to you. He has come back. And he spent the next number of days in the earth showing himself and revealing himself to a variety of people. And we have a few accounts of who he showed himself to, but I have a sense, I have a knowing that it wasn't just a few times that he showed himself. He was busy (laughs) for all of the days that he was back. He's back. (laughs) Glory to God. And he was showing himself. I believe he showed himself to people all over this planet. The disciples saw him. They heard him. Eight days later, Thomas, who was not there for that initial revelation... Doubting Thomas, we call him. I think he got, I don't think he got a fair shake on that. I don't think that's quite fair. Doubting Thomas. And I mean, we understand why we call him that because he didn't believe what the disciples, the other guys had told him. We saw the Lord. He said, I don't believe you guys. And think about who he was with. Peter, you know, the up and down Peter. I mean, Peter just not long ago had denied the Lord. So Thomas wasn't just going to believe them and their story. He said, I got to see it. Now, here's what we know. Faith, the kind of faith that God wants us to walk in, doesn't have to see it to believe it. In fact, it's really the opposite of that. To believe it is to then see it. But Jesus went ahead and allowed Thomas to get past his doubts. And he showed himself. This is a cool thing about the Lord, always. He does work with us right where we are. Because he's not wanting to leave us where we are. So Jesus just revealed himself not only to the disciples, but now to Thomas also. 
so that where Jesus was, Thomas would be also. Glory to God. Now let's drop down in this chapter. I mean, I could just park on that one thing and say it over and over again the rest of the night. To me, that's one of the biggest things you ever discover. Is that where Jesus is, I'm going to say it again, you are also. Where is that? It is in the presence of your heavenly Father. We're not waiting to get there. Ladies and gentlemen, we are there. Now some people say, well, if this is it, I mean, I don't feel the presence of the Father. Well, it's we like feelings, but it's not about the feeling. I mean, it feels good to feel good. I like feeling good. And frankly, just for your information, I feel good right now. Just in case you're interested. I had Indian food today. East Indian food. It was good. But it's not about the feeling. It's about the knowing. There's things that we know whether we feel them or not. I mean, you get a husband that tries waking up one morning and say, Hey, uh, darling, I don't really feel all that married today. (laughs) You have just set something in motion that you are not ready for. So just suffice it to say, we don't care how you feel. You know, I don't feel all that much like a parent today. (laughs) Any parent has had those feelings. (laughs) But nobody cares that you feel that way because it changes nothing. You are married or you are a parent whether you feel it or not, and you are in the presence of your Father, whether you feel His presence or not. It's not about the feeling. It's about the knowing. But when you know what you know, and your feelings betray you, you can stay on track until your feelings harmonize with what you know. Feelings are up and down. You know they are. I mean, the... The air pressure can affect some people's feelings. Well, they're feeling down, man. We got a low pressure moved in, and I'm feeling I'm feeling low. Fine. <laughs> All right, let's drop down to something else here. I'm going to get myself way in trouble if I don't want to. Drop down to verse 23. Jesus replied, and he said this. Now, I'm still in the Passion Translation. He replied, and he said, Loving me empowers you to obey my word. Mm -hmm. And my Father will love you so deeply that he will come to you and make you our dwelling place. Now, this is loaded with revelation as to not what is about to happen to us. It was about to happen to them. But this is what has already happened to us. Mm -hmm. You see, we have to step up 
our Christian game, so to speak. It's not a game, but we've got to step up. We've got to start living a lot more like the kind of believers we actually are and who God has designed us to be. We're not just, we're not just church-going folks. We're not just church chair-warming type Christians. We're not just showing up because there's nothing else to do or because it's the obligation. We are in this for life. We're in this for reality. We're in this for the power of God. And we're in this to make a difference. And it takes a mindset for that. And I'm going to be dealing with this sort of stuff all weekend. It takes a particular mindset that will stay on course and on target and not allow yourself to cave in to contrary feelings or even the opinions of others that try to sway you into one direction or another away from who you are and who you're designed to be. We are the dwelling place for our Father, and He is our dwelling place. That's, it's amazing how these terms overlap and describe not only his relationship to us, but our relationship to him. Now here's what's going to have to happen, even among the things I've just said and already talked about. This is more than information. This has to come and become revelation. And what is revelation? What do I mean by that? I mean, I mean thoughts that come alive with exact knowledge as to how this makes a difference in my situation today. You see, I could take a great deal of time trying to explain a lot of things, and I realize explanation is helpful, and that's fine. But in the end, I can't explain enough for this to make a lasting result or difference in your life. There's not enough explanation to do it. It has to come by revelation. It has to come because we embrace something the Holy Spirit is saying to us right now, and the Spirit of God will say things to you that I didn't even say. That's why people end up quoting me over things that I'm sure I did not say, but it was really good, and I'm going to say it next time. How many of you are with me? You understand? Yeah. Yeah. So we're, we're laying hold on not just information, we're laying hold on revelation. Amen. That the presence of the Father is accessible to us, but it's for a purpose. It's not just for us to know it. It's so that we can enter in and do what Jesus said. We can be at rest, which doesn't mean inactive. Rest in the kingdom is not inactivity. Rest in the kingdom in fact, we're told in Hebrews that we are to labor to enter into rest. It's work to get there. It's work to stay there. It's work while you're there. You're resting, but you're not inactive. In fact, you are the most productive that you will ever be when you're in that place of rest. So he said... I'll read it again. He said, loving me empowers you to obey my word and my Father will love you so deeply that we will come to you and make you our dwelling place. Dropping down to verse 27, he says this. He said, I leave the gift of peace with you, my peace. 
Not the kind of fragile peace given by the world, but my perfect peace. So he goes on, he said, don't yield to fear or be troubled in your hearts. Instead, be courageous. Say courageous. courageous. Standing in the presence of God, knowing that we belong there, has the capacity to so encourage you and empower you that it turns you into a person of serious courage. Let's talk about courage for just a minute. The word courage comes from a French word, I'm told. I'm no French person, but I should ask Moses about this, I think. <laughs> the word courage. <laughs> the word courage in English comes from the French word for heart. To be courageous really is to follow your heart. It's to follow what's on the inside. It's to follow an inward knowing that supersedes the outward reasoning or the way things look on the outside. It takes courage for a soldier to run into the battle instead of away from the battle. It takes courage for the firefighter to run into the burning building when everybody else needs to be running out. It takes courage for the law enforcement to run into the fight when other people are fleeing from the fight. Now granted, it all takes training also. There's a lot more to it. But in the end, you can't train all of this into a person. Something has to be on the inside of them. Mm -hmm. There has to be what we know is that heart of courage that supersedes the reasoning. It supersedes the fear. To be courageous doesn't mean there is a total absence of fear. But it means that we know how to rise above fear and not be governed by fear, but to be governed by what is on the inside of us, born, in our case, born of the Holy Spirit. What is it that brings that courage? It's the courage that comes from that knowing that we are in his presence and he's dwelling in us. We are at rest so we know we have the right to receive. We don't have the right to receive because we've done everything right. You can't do enough things right to earn the right to receive from God. Now what we also know is doing everything wrong doesn't help the cause of receiving from God. So that's not the point. Some people seem to think that the point's fine. Just go ahead and do it wrong because God doesn't care. <laughs> well, you are an idiot. God, I, okay, that was harsh. <laughs> but sometimes truth is harsh. I mean, what can I, I can't soften some things. No, the message is not it's okay to do it wrong. No, no, no. We've already read that being in the presence of the Father... And loving him empowers us to do it right. That's the plan. God wants us doing it in a way he's designed it. But you can't do enough things right to earn the right right. to receive the supernatural. You have to receive it by faith. And grace has provided it to be received just that way. 
So we're in the presence of the Father and capable of receiving. And Jesus tells us to not yield to fear or be troubled in our heart, but instead be courageous. Courage also is defined this way in a dictionary that I have, and I love this. It is to have a buoyant spirit. A buoyant spirit. You know, you know what it means to be buoyant. It means if something's underwater, you let it go, man, right to the top it comes. It's what? It floats. It's buoyant. You can get it underwater, but the moment you let it go, it just comes to the top all by itself. It's what? It's buoyant. And I think that picture is so powerful because the courageous, it doesn't mean that they have never been pulled under, but it means they kick it loose, whatever it is, and they let this divine relationship and the presence of God dwelling in them bring them right back up to the top. Glory to God. Darkness and depression and fear and anxiety and all of those things. It tries to get on every single person. But here's what we know. The courageous have discovered how to kick it loose and let that presence of God within them bring them right back up to the top. You were made to live above the circumstances around you. This is why the story of Noah is so powerful. We were made not to go through the flood. We were made to ride on top of the flood. Uh -huh. <laughs> Glory to God. That alone is worth showing up tonight. I mean, just that idea. Praise God. How many of you are still glad you came tonight? Yeah. All right, we're not quite done. But I'm not going to wreck it. It's going to get... So here's what Jesus says right at the end of what he's teaching here. Chapter 16 and verse 33. Still in the Passion Translation, he said, Everything that I taught you is so that the peace which is in me will be in you. And I will give you great confidence as you rest in me. For in this unbelieving world, you will experience trouble and sorrow. How many of you have proven that is true? That's, that's a true statement. I mean, we know they're all true. This is especially in red letters. But that one we all know for a fact. You don't even really have to confess and believe and trust the Lord. Uh, trouble and sorrow comes. He said, in the world, you're going to experience trouble and sorrow. But you must be courageous. And then he says this. This is just phenomenal. He says, for I have conquered the world. Now, wait a minute. Think again of the condition of things when he uttered those words. When he uttered those words, Judas had already now betrayed the Lord. The mob was gathering. They were, the disciples and Jesus were headed into that garden time for prayer. It was in that garden that Jesus was going to be arrested. You know the story. So dark clouds are forming, so to speak, man. I mean, all of the threats of an enemy, every demon of hell now knew that Jesus was the one that God had told Satan in Genesis 3.15 would come. One will come who will crush your head. And all of hell knew that Jesus was that one. 
And now at the culmination of all of these events, all of hell was descending on Jesus and the, the plot and strategy to destroy him was well in motion. And in that, Jesus said, I have conquered the world. Yeah. Glory to God. You see, even in times that are heavy and pressured, even in times when your body is telling you that you're going down, that this is it, it's all over. You know, you can just get a little twinge, just a little twinge in your head, or, you know, anywhere, just a little twinge. Oh, my God, what is that? Oh, Lord, God, Jesus, help me. Jesus, what is that? Well, it's just a little thing, but that's how they all start. They all start small. Yeah. I've known people that died from stuff that didn't feel any worse than this. <laughs> At least they didn't. They didn't know it until it was too late. And, man, all of a sudden, your head just goes on a whole thing. Am I alone in this? No. God, you guys look so holy and, <laughs> and powerful in Jesus, you know. But man, if you don't want your head, just goes on a roll, man. You get on that train and it is out of the station, man, in a moment. And all of the scenarios of the possibility, oh my gosh, this twinge, this may be cancer. This could be, this is brain cancer. It'll be, a, it'll, it'll be surgery, man. I'll, be, I'll have stuff stuck in me for, for weeks. I'll be in the, I've got to cancel all kinds of appointments. I'm not going to be able to do stuff. Will I see my grandkids again? It, it was just a twinge, man. It was just a twinge. That's all it really was. It was too much coffee. Is it? <laughs> It'd be funny if it wasn't so pathetic, but that's just the way it is. All of this is about how that we can be courageous, even in the face of things that are squeezing us, things that are making our life filled with trouble. He said, don't let your heart be troubled. But he didn't say there wouldn't be trouble that would try to get in your heart. But when it comes, we remind ourselves, no, wait a minute, hold on. That, that is not who I am. I don't live like that. I'm not going to let those thoughts dominate me now. I'm not going to let those words, not that opinion, those people's rhetoric, I'm not going to let that strike trouble or fear in me. I refuse it. It'll be amazing to you once you take that kind of position how quickly all of those crazy ideas and thoughts just fold up. Satan really doesn't have anything that stands up against the authority of Jesus in our words and in our, in our mind. Glory to God. You still with me? Can you take a little more? I'm just getting started. We got till sun up. Nothing happened until you got to go to work tomorrow, right? <laughs> so I want to take you to a statement that gives some light as to how this courage continued to be such a viable and real force in Jesus himself and how it also happens in us. It's in Hebrews chapter 5, and this time I'm going to read from a different translation yet, the Mirror Bible. 
I want you to just hear a couple of lines in the Mirror Bible from Hebrews chapter 5. I love Hebrews. It's one of my favorite books in the Bible, outside of all the rest of the books in the Bible. You know, they're all good. It's all good. But Hebrews, it gives us so much light into the Old Testament. I had somebody ask me one time, they said, how should I study the Old Testament? Then as I noticed you use the Old Testament a lot, and I, I do, and and how do, you, how do you study the Old Testament? I said, here's the, here's the key to studying the Old Testament. You need to start by studying the Old Testament in the book of Hebrews, <laughs> which, of course, they, they freak out, and I just let them, uh, until they remind, well, you know, that is in the New Testament, you know, and I said, of course. Uh, but the, the book of Hebrews is like a lens to give us God's point of view of things in the Old Testament so that we don't misunderstand what was going on in those days. So many crazy things get taught out of the Old Testament that are just completely off the rails and really not applicable to us at this point in history. And really oftentimes it, it came with very little understanding of what was actually taking place in those events in the Old Testament. Mm -hmm. People get some very goofy ideas. But what we're going to read here is some insight into the spiritual side of Jesus while he was functioning in his ministry on the earth, but through the lens also of the revelation of the Spirit to help us see something that we just wouldn't see uh, without this kind of help. So watch this. Again, now this is from the Mirror Bible of Hebrews 5 and verse number 8. As son, referring to Jesus, now listen close, he was in the habit of hearing from above. That's how this translator translated the word obedience. The King James Bible, and maybe your translation also, uses the word obedience. He learned obedience. But I love this terminology, and you'll see why even more clearly here in a moment. He was in the habit of hearing from above. What's that a reference to? <clears throat> hearing from his father. He even told us that he did nothing but what he heard his father say or what he saw his father do. Hebrews begins with the idea that Jesus was the perfect reflection of the Heavenly Father. So now we get some insight as to how that happened. He was in the habit of hearing from above. Now watch this. This is so very powerful. He said, he goes on and says, what he heard distanced him from the effect of what he had suffered. I want you to let that sink in for a moment. What he heard, and what did he hear? He heard from the Father. <clears throat> what he heard was like a buffer, a cushion, something that created distance between him and what was coming at him. This suffering is not referring to the suffering on the cross. Mm -hmm. He didn't learn obedience or just develop a habit of hearing right there at the end. No, he lived like this. He had lived like this his entire existence on earth, his whole life, even from a child. But throughout his ministry, he heard 
And the Hebrew writer says that distanced him. What he heard put a distance between him and the things that came at him. He lived his life with terrible scrutiny, with a heavy hand, with people that hated him, with the fear of the leadership of Israel, with people that misconstrued things he said, accused him of being the father of devils. All kinds of things came at him continually. And you don't find him wavering or waffling or whining or whinging about any of it. Never. And of course, I mean, that even sounds funny to think we would ever think that. But here's why it worked so seemingly easily for him. We don't know that it was easy. But it seemed to be easy. And why did it seem to be easy? Because he was in the habit of hearing from above. What does the father have to say about what this turkey just said to me? I'm sure he did not say that. But uh, what's the father's point of view about this situation that I'm looking at? He was in the habit of hearing. But now watch this. Verse 9, it says, By his perfect hearing, he forever freed mankind to hear what he had heard. What had he done? He had just put all of mankind, every believer that chooses to know Jesus, in the same place where each person could themselves create the habit of hearing from above and have the same thing happen to them, put a distance between them and the things that came or come today to attack or bring suffering or bring misery or bring pain into our life. It's about how we see ourselves and what we're listening to. Now this just introduces something that we're not going to be able to spend a lot of time on tonight. We may get into it more tomorrow night. But there are so many voices right now. So many voices saying so many different kinds of things. False opinions, false teaching, false leaders, false prophets, fake news. Whoop, where did I get that? It's from a myriad of tweets, I think. I'm not much on tweeting personally. Something about the terminology just seems uh, like a mountain that I have not been willing to climb. That I would tweet somebody. Did, did you send out a tweet? What? I'm almost offended that you would ask me that question. No, I, I mean, I understand. Okay, I get it. But it's like, no, I, I don't, I'm not tweet. Could we not come up with something a little more manly than a tweet? <laughs> Apparently not. What is wrong with people that come up with these things? It's just an opinion. You may like tweeting. Do we have any Twitter tweeters here tonight? Are you a Twitter tweeter? How many Twitter tweeters do we have? How many of you have no idea what I'm even talking? All right, we have two. Okay. Yeah, you're a little intimidated, I'm sure, to even raise your hand at this stage. What kind of scolding might you get? No, I'm proud of you, and I'm happy for you, and I'm delighted. I may not enter in, but I can, I can enjoy it from a distance. 
But that was only two hands. I only saw two hands, Pastor. Now, yours was one of them. I think I should announce that. <laughs> but there was others, somebody else. Any other Twitter, Twitter tweeters here? Yes, there's one right there. God bless both of them. <laughs> Nobody else brave enough to, to actually enter in. And others that wouldn't even know how. <laughs> and then others that don't even care about what the heck it is I'm talking about. <laughs> So I may have just successfully offended nearly everybody in the room, Pastor. I mean, I found a way. And I'm good. Did you say you're good at that? Is that what you just said? Oh, I'm good. All right. So let me read this all once again, and we'll get back to the Bible. As son, he was in the habit of hearing from above. Everybody say above. above. It was about the habit that he created, that he had to hear. To hear from above, and what he heard distanced him from the effect of what he had suffered. By his perfect hearing, he forever freed mankind to hear what he had heard. Whoa. What that says, though, is that every one of us have the same capacity on the exact same level that Jesus himself had to hear from above. That is beyond reason. That is, that is staggering. But that's real. That's what the Father has designed for us. That's what Jesus went and prepared for us. And that's what he came back in order to reveal to us. And when the Holy Spirit came on that day of Pentecost, it all really began to make sense. It was at that point that the revelation knowledge began to come, where even Peter on that first day of, of Pentecost stood up and preached a message that brought freedom, deliverance, and salvation to over 3,000 people. Glory to God. It was on, man. The peace was back. The place was prepared. The habits could now be developed. But my friend, these things have to become habits that we embrace. Mm -hmm. This is where it changes and shifts from only being what God has done to what now we enter into and we participate in. You see, it's one thing for God to prepare the way. It's one thing for him to open the door. But it's something entirely different for someone to step in through that door. It's one thing for the place to be prepared, but that doesn't guarantee that people get anything. Because what's prepared, you still have to, you still have to slide up to the table and partake. And the sad fact is that I find in my travels... Even among good Christian people, the, the majority of people don't seem to really be putting all that much effort into stepping in mm -hmm. right. through the, into the things that have been prepared and through the door that's been opened. Now, I'm not talking about you. You're the Friday night crowd. <laughs> you have shown up. But there'll be people here to Sunday, see. And the, all right, that, all right. Um, we love them all. And we understand, yeah, this is, this is my ministry of hurts and disappointments. Uh, it just seems to be flowing tonight. I don't know what's happened. 
No, but what I find, though, is that there are voices that are out there. There's teachings that are coming. There are ideas that are being projected and promoted that are not really leading people into these places of power and rest and victory, but leading people into a place, if I can just be real clear here, of just being lazy about things mm -hmm. and ending up deflated, diffused, right. and in a lot of cases, deceived. Mm -hmm. yep. Now, I don't want to spend a lot of time on this tonight, but there's some important things that we've got to wake up to mm -hmm. about the days that we're in and the days that are just ahead. Because we're in the early days of two things happening simultaneously. The most dramatic things that have ever hit this planet. The greatest awakening that I believe that we've ever witnessed, certainly in our lifetimes, which I think will eclipse what has been witnessed in anyone's lifetime, of the presence and power of God operating through the body of Christ on the highest level. Real miracles on the highest levels and lots of them. Yep. And not in a few places, but in many. Yeah. Outpourings that are taking place, not just in a few isolated locations or at one point in history and then another at another time in history, but multiple places. Yeah. The biggest things we've ever heard about and seen and happening all the time. Amen. The greatest days we've ever heard and the greatest days we've ever seen. People that are in the habit of hearing from above and following the leadership of what they've heard and walking in those victories. Now that's, that's the description of us. That's what we're walking into. So you've got every reason to feel really good about these days. But in the midst of these great days, it's also what we really come to know is a great falling away. Now, a great falling away indicates that these are people that were at one point not fallen. I mean, does that seem obvious to you? Yeah. Yeah. That seems obvious to me. So, we're not talking about people that have never entered in. There's lots of them. They get more and more vicious and darker and crazier, it seems, and I don't know... <laughs> Well, I do know a little bit of how it's going here in Canada, but I'm sure you know how it's going where I'm from. It's wild. Holy smoke. Wild. And yet in the midst of the wildest kinds of things, we have the most exciting things that have ever happened in our lifetimes. I mean, it is so amazing. It's really all in who you choose to listen to and which way you tune your ear. It's all in what you are choosing to hear and what you're buying into is actual truth. But we can't be ignorant of the fact that in these days there are a lot of voices. And there are even those that are taking the grace of God and twisting it. We've been warned that this is exactly what would happen and this is what we're exactly seeing. Where it's being twisted into something that grace is not. To the very extent, and this is not new, but it seems to have gained even greater traction, 
to the extent that it's being taught that no matter what happens and what anybody believes, everybody's safe and even the devil is going to be uh, redeemed. What? No, that is not the case, and that's not what's happening, but there's voices. One man stood up in front of his church a few years ago now. Fairly young guy, at least from my point of view these days. (laughs) And a, a large, booming church. But he stood before his church and held up his Bible, and he announced to his church this book is no longer relevant for us today. Now, I'm sure there was a context to it, but there is no context that makes that right. The man was interviewed on Oprah, which should open your eyes to what (laughs) this could mean just by virtue of the name. And she asked a a question, and of course she's just, she is so smooth. I, you know, you just got to admire her, even though, you know, you don't listen to her. <laughs> Do you? <No. laughs> okay, you see, that was a test. But, um, <laughs> she asked this guy that I'm talking about the question, so when pastor, no, calling him pastor, which is now a, a misuse of the term, But, Pastor, when is the church going to wake up to the fact that God is happy for people to love whomever they choose? Well, we know what that's code for. And his answer was startling. He said, we're almost there. As soon as the church stops looking to 2,000-year-old letters to get their guidance. I heard him say it. That was in context to the question. Well, that's just one voice. Now, that... That's not changing your life. It's not changing mine. I'm not listening to that. But what we have to be aware of is that there is an ongoing chipping away and endeavoring to chip away at our faith, at our stand, at our our trust, at who we are in Christ, at what it means to walk in the presence of God, and what it means to honor the kingdom and the king. And what it means to dishonor. And in these days of outpouring, in these days of awakening, we're going to have to be just as clear about the things that have come to darken our soul and move us away from that place of peace and courage that Jesus told the disciples they would have to live in. It is an invitation, and it's an exciting one at that, but it's more than an invitation. It is a command to live this way. It's not optional, really. I mean, we treat it as optional because it does take making a choice, but it's not optional. You must make the choice 
to serve God, have Jesus first, have his word and a love for God as the motivation of your soul. And the things that come to try to cloud your soul and, and shatter your faith, those are the things that we learn how to cut out so that they're not changing us from who we know we are in Christ. There's something about the old message of the cross and the gospel that we just cannot let go of, that we must not let go of. Granted, culture changes, culture evolves, and it will always evolve for however long we have to go. And there's nothing wrong with evolving with culture. I use different terminologies than I did when I started 40 years ago. Thanks for bringing that up, actually. It was 40 years ago. So I, I use different terminologies. Culture changes. There's some terminologies I won't use. And you can. There's nothing wrong with them. But I'm just not going to say, hey, man, that was lit. That, it's just, I'm, I'm just not. Cool is, is still cool. That's my story and I'm sticking to it. But culture cannot change the concept of the kingdom. You cannot let cultural changes change you from the concepts and the commitments that you've made to walk in this kingdom. So this call and revelation of God of what's prepared for us, this is high energy stuff. This just lights me up. This gets us entering in and stepping through the door that God has opened and given us the right to stand in that place. Glory to God. But it still requires the habit of hearing and choosing to hear and choosing to not only hear but to Order your life by what you hear. Mm -hmm. It's not enough to hear a message. It's not enough to hear your pastor teach. It's not enough to go through a teaching or a, a Bible study of one type or another. It has to modify the way you approach things in your life. It has to empower you to make a difference. Well, the capacity for that's always there. But it's not automatic. It comes by choice comes by embracing. It comes by faith. Amen. Grace has offered these things to us. Faith is what embraces and activates what grace, grace has offered. Yeah. So we take it. We take what grace has offered. This great day of awakening. It's our time of awakening. It's our time. We're not looking for revival. We're revived. Amen. Yes. Revival, Leonard Ravenhill, one of the great teachers of just this last generation. He talked about revival. And he said revival, real revival begins in the church and in the heart of the believer. Real revival is not something we're waiting for God to do somewhere else. It's what happens in us right here, right now. These are those days. Days of awakening and frankly, I'm waking up yeah, to things that I hadn't seen 
as clearly as I see it now. I think that's the continual experience, don't you? I mean, isn't that really sound like what you've gone through as a believer? There are continual things being unwrapped and revealed about what God has prepared for us, about the depth and the extent of what Jesus has done, about how far it'll take you, about how powerful it makes you. These are the days for it. So I believe this. I believe the Holy Spirit wants to reach into your soul, your mind and your will, and even your emotions, and peel back some of the layers of what maybe has been clouding issues for you. I believe the Holy Spirit wants to peel back and bring revelation about what has been prepared. This is a simple message. These aren't new ideas to you, I'm sure. But these are relevant ideas for right this minute. Truth is always relevant. So I want you to stand with me if you would.